Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to The Impact Code, where we take deep dives into the stories and journeys of impact in the lives of our guests. Today's guest is Susan Kamenez, and let me tell you a little bit about Susan today. So Susan thought for sure she was going to grow up and be a forest ranger, but her love of music flourished, and she soon was bitten by the acting bug. So she went to the Hart School of Music in Hartford, Connecticut, where she received her BFA in music theater. From there, she moved to the Big Apple with her precious Maine Coon cat in the summer after 9-11. For the next decade, she was involved in a bevy of creative endeavors, including a Meisner acting intensive with the renowned Joanna Bexon, acted in various musicals, in parentheses, off-off-Broadway, and TV and film, taught music theater, coached actors and aspiring film directors at NYU, and entertained as a professional birthday clown. Realizing she liked to be on the other side of a table more than performing, Susan earned her M.A., in arts administration from Columbia. She produced and directed the short film, The Stoop, and later directed the short film, The Job, uh, which is a film about PTSD, which received the Audience Choice Award at the Unbroken Film Festival in London. She is currently the Director of Education and Community Impact at the Chattanooga Symphony and, and Opera otherwise known as CSO. At CSO, she developed the family series, which promotes early literacy by bringing classical literature stories to life with classical music and puppetry, as well as the All Access Concert, which is a full orchestra relaxed performance for disabled patrons of all ages. She's married to her best friend and has two awesome kids. I'm so excited to welcome Susan to the show today. But before we dive in, I want to take a brief minute and tell you all about Tower Community Bank. I work for Tower and I can tell you that every single day we're focused hard on revolutionizing what it means to be a community bank. And we do all of that through the lens of our mission, which is to make the communities that we live in better places to live, work, and raise families. And we see this podcast as a way to continue and to broaden that mission by hearing stories and elevating stories of people who are in our communities and who are making a big difference every single day. Tower pays for everything about the impact code. So Tower pays for the hosting, for the equipment, for the advertising, anything that has to do with the impact code is brought to you by Tower. So if you enjoy the show, be sure to head on over to towercommunitybank.com and check us out today. And one last note before we dive in, Susan reached out to me after we recorded the episode and she wanted me to clarify something Um, near the end of our conversation. She used the word normal. And I would like to just read word for word what Susan sent to me because she felt like it was really important to include in the episode. And I agree. So here is a message from Susan. She said, I really don't want to use the word normal. I know I corrected myself, but want to make sure that it's pointed out that we are all a work in progress. I don't necessarily want to take it out, but perhaps if there is a way to point out that we're going to mess up and to not let that stop us from trying to do better, that it takes effort to make these thoughtful changes, even in the way that we talk and we can only do the best that we can. Changing our language takes time, thought, and to be honest, is hard, but we we can keep trying and do better. So with that message from Susan in mind, um, and I think it's a great one, let's go ahead and dive into today's episode. Without further ado, my conversation with Susan Kamenes. Susan, welcome to the Impact Code. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here, Brett. Thank you for inviting me to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to be talking to you today. I have a long history with the performing arts, specifically classical music through my undergrad minor. And I stage managed for an orchestra for a few years in college. And so this is a really special moment for me to be able to like circle back and hear all about what you all are doing at the Chattanooga Symphony Orchestra. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. So we were talking beforehand and you talked about this concept of music access. And I think that's a great place for us to start our conversation because it it really describes both the environment and the challenges that the orchestra is facing, but also the great things that you all are doing to sort of increase visibility and audience. So let's start with what is music access. Sure. So I think a lot of organizations are really hot right now with the DEI, so diversity, equity, inclusion, and language is constantly changing. And part of that is now 
Now that has even evolved into more of a DEAI, which the A being for access. And what happens is while we can be inclusive, if someone can't get to you, or there's some barrier that's preventing someone from participating in what you're doing, then they don't have access. So we want to be able to create access so that people can participate and be a part of anything that you're offering. And that's what we're trying to do here at the orchestra and to remove any barrier that's preventing anyone from having an opportunity to experience music live. Yeah. Which is a really cool concept. And I want to dive into some of those specific strategies. But before we do that, I'm curious sort of the background around when did this idea of music access and even the broader idea of kind of DEE and I, when did that all come onto your radar specifically? And was that when you joined the, the orchestra with your role being created or has this been something that has evolved over time? So for almost a decade or so, Uh, Specifically, the Chattanooga Symphony has been offering what they call sensory friendly concerts. So these are smaller concerts that are with our ensembles. So these are our principal players. They're more intimate settings and it's not as overwhelming as a traditional concert setting. These are more relaxed performances that usually also provide a quiet space or something like that. And so that was already in place when I came on board about a year ago. And I observed that when I came on and realized that I'm not sure those were still serving the people we wanted to serve. Mm -hmm. And um, I think I've heard from other organizations that that could also be the case that um, you see a free event and you're like, I'm going to go to that free event, but doesn't mean that it's serving who it, who it needs to serve. So yeah. um, I just really looked at that and I said, I don't want to just be serving children, um, which this is, had turned into. Yeah. I really want to be serving everyone, uh, all yeah. ages. And so the for me, I wanted to really just expand the access to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, DEI, I think, is not that new, but uh, in organizations and businesses around the country. But I think, you know, a a lot of the political climate and lots of things that have been going on. And I think especially with COVID and it's really brought a lot of that to the forefront and organizations are really focusing and really thoughtfully thinking of how they're going to change and grow and accommodate. So um, that's what I wanted to do. And so I was looking for ways in which I could expand that and ensure that I'm serving the right communities. I think that's really powerful. And it was interesting because COVID had so many difficulties and so many, uh, for me, when I think about it, there's a lot of things that were difficult in those, you know, two, two and a half years that we were really kind of questioning, you know, what the next right step was. But I do think one of the positive things is awareness around things like diversity, equity, and inclusion for organizations and that it's, it's become less of a thing that they're doing to check the box and more of a thing that people are taking really seriously and trying to make concerted efforts to make sure that, that access is included in that as well. What are Susan, some of the things that keep people from something like the CSO, for instance? You know, I think, um, People associate classic music, classical music with um, old, I don't want to be too harsh, um, old sure. stodgy, yes. you know, older people. It's very yeah, like the Monopoly um, man kind of look. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, a very <clears throat> stuffy, um, formal, you know, environment. And um, it's really not the case. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> we try to create these concerts, concert experiences to show that that's not really what we're about. And, uh, we have, we perform a lot of very diverse composers. It's not just all the older white men. Um, Mm -hmm. there's lots of diversity within our music. And, um, I think that's a very common misconception. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. And that, and I think it partially has been in, response to how we have shaped some of our organizations and the music, the repertoire that has been performed, but it, 
I think as we're diversifying, even the repertoire that's being performed, um, I think that's another way just to be more inclusive and another way to provide more access. Um, and so it's really cool to hear that you all are doing that as well. So you've been on in your role about a year and I'd love to just hear sort of how did you find your way to this specific role? So uh, my background is actually in theater, but music has always played a major, major role in my life. Um, I started playing piano when I was five. Mm. So since then and joined band and in school and then, you know, your moody, broody teenage years, music was like my saving grace. Yeah. And um, I think a lot of people can relate to that. And I've always been a huge advocate for the power of music, the healing power of music. I think we've all been witness to how moving it can be and how it can light up people's lives and I came into this position because it was available and I, yeah. and I wanted to be a part of it. Yeah. Um, it's kind of that simple, but uh, it's, it's been so amazing to be in a role I feel so passionate about and, and to see the impact that it really does make. Yeah. So as you came on and you saw, you know, some of the issues with getting to the right audience, how did you start to change either sort of marketing or the approach to start to become more inclusive of even things like age um, and some of these other factors that you had talked about earlier. As I mentioned, I, when I first came on, we, we had already been, we were already doing sensory friendly concerts. Uh, we do about four of those a season. And when I went to view them, I'm like, you know, this isn't, and I don't want to sound discouraging when I say this, but it was yeah. primarily a family concert and that yeah. um, not to say that we don't want to serve families. We definitely do. Mm-hmm. Um, but that wasn't really who we were, who we were wanting to serve. And um, so from that, I'm like, well, I need to create a space for families to go to. So that was one of my first steps was I'm going to create a space that's for families. Yeah. It's still a relaxed performance environment, but it's serving families. And then then I can have a relaxed performance environment that really needs to serve people who need the accommodations that are made for that concert. Yeah. And from that, started to reach out to groups in which I can serve all ages, um, all 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 different types of disability, not mm-hmm. just neurodiversion, but um, anyone who needs who needs an untraditional concert environment and a more relaxed performance environment. Yeah, that's really cool. So uh, can you talk about then in a little more detail what the differences would be? So for people listening that may be local and interested in sort of this idea of a more sensory friendly, maybe they have someone in their family or someone that they know um, that this might be a good fit for. Can you talk about some of the ways that it does um, provide uh, more of an environment that's suitable for someone who may be neurodivergent or someone who may have some other um, condition that this would be more suitable for. Absolutely. So one of the things that I look for in a space, and especially a venue that's going to offer a type of concert like this is, is accessibility. Um, not just a ramp per se or uh, anything like that, but I, I was really looking for a venue that my patrons could drive right up to the door mm-hmm. And, and get in through the door. And yeah. so this past year and this year moving forward, we're, we are actually at uh, Chattanooga Theater Center. And at their theater, they have a driveway that, that loops around. And it, the driveway is adjacent right to the door that goes into where we have the concert. So if you yeah. are a person who's in a wheelchair, you don't need to go across the parking lot. You can literally pull up to the door and get out and, and come into the space. Um, So that was a huge factor. Uh, We also have a quiet space uh, that's adjacent to where the performance is being held. So if the performance becomes overwhelming or you just Mm -hmm. need a break um, that is available, we have manipulatives. So um, I have one here in my hand, actually I'm I'm holding a little marble inside a, a, uh, casing yes. and then we have um, silky scarves or or ribbons um, so there's oh, yeah. quiet engagement with the music yeah. um, if it's needed and then uh, I so not to jump ahead but I saw this I loved it I wanted to do this and I yeah. wanted then I wanted to bring it to the full orchestra 
Yeah. And so I thought, where can I pull this into a full orchestra experience? Right. So like our quintets are amazing. They're our yes. principal players. They're phenomenal. Yes. But to have a full orchestra experience is like next level. Yes. And I I don't do anything halfway. I'm a, probably a little bit of an intense person. I like to go <laughs> deep dive, full in. Um, so I took one of our concerts that we already do and adapted that even further at a much grander scale than say our sensory concerts that we offer. And we will be offering that again this year, which I'm really excited about because it was so successful. Um, so that we call our all accessible concert. And that is the one with the full orchestra. And that had a lot more adaptations for our patrons, which included an adaptive script. So our script, uh, removed all the ableist language. So oh, great. Yeah. I see this. I hear this. We didn't do things like that. We changed the language to say, I experience this particular moment or something like that. Um, we also use descriptive language. So I'm talking to you, Brett, I would say I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've seen this in other um, examples. I'm Susan. I'm sitting here. I'm a white woman. I have a blue shirt on. I have a very busy background. I have brown hair with white streaks. So, yeah. you know, so someone who is not able to see could uh, imagine what I look like or not see well or have low vision. And so we did all of that. We did music indication. So um, this is a like a like a baton that people would use at an airport like mm -hmm. a lighted baton. Yeah, that's a great description of it. And we would light that and raise that before the music was about to play as a way of indicating, hey, it's going to get loud in here. We're going to start to hear the music soon. And so they could prepare to hear the music. And um, just, I, I could just go on and on. <laughs> no, this is great. Keep going. I, I'm actually learning a lot through this experience as well. So as much as you want to describe, I'm thoroughly enjoying I, um, <laughs> we put a lot of work into it in a very short amount of time, Yeah, but it was really important to me to really be thoughtful and mindful about all of these different things. And as I go along and as I learn more, it's how, how can I take this and incorporate it and everything else that we do? Yeah. And, and so that's kind of the idea, but, um, this concert also had ASL interpretation, captioning. Um, I don't know about you, but I watch television with captioning on o all the only time. Only with now. captions on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I always joke. I'm like, I'm not watching a show without the captions yeah. on. It's just like, not worth it to me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you get so much more out of it with captioning. And um, exactly. so we did have captioning. Um, Pre-concert preparation would be a sensory map. So people who are coming would know where to go, where it's quiet or know where the accessible bathrooms are. There's also social narratives. These are short stories that are a play-by-play -play of what to expect when you're there. So I'm going yeah. to arrive, I'm gonna walk in through this, and then there's actual pictures of the theater. So um, <clears throat> I know for my own self that I, I can get a lot of anxiety doing something new or going somewhere new if I don't know what it looks like or yeah. what it takes to go there. Um, so those are very helpful to people who want to prepare to come. And then space-wise, we offer dim lighting. So anyone would be able to move if they needed to mm -hmm. move. Uh, general uh, general ad admission seating. So they could sit wherever they wanted to sit. Yeah. And um, which was really amazing because I didn't wasn't really sure how people would feel free to move around and they did mm -hmm. um, like, Oh, you know what? I'm not comfortable sitting here. I'm going to go sit back there. And they were free to do so. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and then the biggest thing that I wasn't, I'd never, I would never would have thought of had I not reached out to community partners who, you know, have that kind of experience and expertise to lend me was to offer adult changing tables. Mm. And this is how, I felt I was able to serve a larger and wider age range. Um, you know, we were not, the, the venue does not have hydraulic 
mm-hmm. adult changing tables. So we used um, massage tables, which worked, you know, just as well to, mm-hmm. to some extent. It's not perfect, yeah. but um, with disposable covers and that was available. So, wow. um, yeah, it was. And um, and last but not least, we had music therapists on hand to help uh, oh, patrons wow. engage with the music. Yeah, it was a really um, <laughs> it sounds like so, so much, but um surprisingly these are all really simple things to put in place yeah and that was a comment that i had as as you're i was just kind of taking notes and listening as you were speaking and the thing that struck me is that almost none of these are really difficult accommodations to make they're they're fairly simple things but they're very intentional signals to people that this is an environment that is safe for you. And this is an environment that has taken you and your needs into consideration. And so it is so cool to see how you have put all of these really simple things together to create this environment that is one that I imagine is very welcoming to people. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, what's so amazing about it. And that's, that's, that would be my takeaway to any other organization or business is that it is a lot of, a lot of action that you could take is so simple to make someone mm. feel so welcome and comfortable. And, yeah. um, and I just can't wait to continuously incorporate it throughout everything we do. Yeah. So for people who are listening, who are interested in, in learning more, but they're not sure where to start, are, what are the resources that you're using to learn about some of these simple things like dim lighting versus no lighting, social narratives, the mapping, um, adult changing table? Like, how are you finding these needs and then uh, Im- implementing them? Right. So I initially looked to any other organization doing this, which is not super easy to find. Right. However, I, it, it was a glimmer in my eye. <laughs> and then I think I just attracted, you know, the resources in some way because I did find an, another orchestra who had done something somewhat similar with the exact program that I was trying to do. Yeah. And so I reached, I, I saw an example I really wanted. I reached out to them like, Hey, I really want to do this too. Tell me what you did. Yeah. And, um, of course, they generously gave me some of that information and music therapists was their recommendation. And it just so happens that in Chattanooga, we're one of the few colleges that has music therapists. Wow, <laughs> that's great. So um, I immediately got in touch with them. And then <clears throat> from there, the resources just started snowballing. So, you know, she made a recommendation. I met someone else and that person made a recommendation. And, the, and it just just kept going. And then eventually um, I had someone who was a vision specialist. I had someone who does caption. I met someone who does captioning and it just, and they knew someone who does ASL. And so from there it just build, it just continued to build. And then I actually went to the resources like center communities and, and organizations that serve the people I'm trying to serve. And through there, it was a teacher who was like, Hey, well we want to come, but do you have adult changing tables? I'm like, Oh, I never would have put right. that together. Right. Um, is that do you do you really need a adult changing table? Because I know they don't have them. Yeah. Well, would this work? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So let's make that happen. And um, so it just really just built upon itself, and you know, just looked to people and just kept meeting people, and they just kept giving me more answers. And then I became like, I got to do everything. <laughs> Yeah, I got to include it all. <laughs> well, it sounds like one thing that you've done really well in your role is continuously having, I'd probably call it like a learner's mindset where you're just, you're questioning, you're curious, you're yeah. trying to meet people who can sort of share their expertise and then you're implementing and combining and consolidating all of that knowledge, which is really interesting. And I think it's really powerful for transformation. <laughs> Yeah, when I listen to the the introduction to what this podcast is, I'm like, yes, that that is that is me. Like I am yes. a person who is so hungry to learn and feel like if if we could just all keep learning, then we'll only grow and get better and mm-hmm. and that's what this is. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's really clear from just the things that you've shared so far. I want to 
sort of zoom out for a second and talk about a concept that we sort of brushed over at the beginning. And it's one that I'm not sure everyone will be familiar with. It's one that I hope most people are, but I, it's this concept of ableism. And so I, I just want to take a brief minute and could you give sort of your definition? It doesn't have to be the, the Webster definition, but what, how do you define ableism? Um, yeah, I'm by, I will disclaimer, I am no, like, not at all an expert. I think it's very closely related to this concept of privilege. So Correct. it's this idea that, um, not that you're necessarily taking it for granted, but I may not think how easily I can walk up the stairs and open a door and go inside. Yeah. And that would be, that might be defined as ableist. Like I am not really consciously thinking that maybe someone else can't get up these stairs or open this door. And I think not thinking ableist would be, again, as previously mentioned, we talked about barriers. Like what are the barriers that are preventing someone from coming in through the door? A, a door being just the, you know, metaphor. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I think it'd be like just kind of taking kind of not really considering that that things are a little maybe easier for you to get somewhere or to something mm -hmm. or be involved in something and kind of not really looking outside that box and how you can serve others who may not be able to do everything that you are able to do and or do things any different way than what you do them. I think that's a great description. And my first exposure to this concept was really over someone close to me being diagnosed with ADHD, which can have sort of, I think, varying degrees of, of how much it prevents someone from being able to do certain things. And that person had actually sort of called me out on some things that I had, I had just mentioned like, Hey, you know, why is this such a big deal? And, and then that person was able to share with me their experience and their perspective on why it actually was a big deal and how those thoughts and sort of the way that I had framed that question was a little bit ableist. It wasn't considering the fact that everyone's experience is not the same as my own. And I think it's a really beautiful thing that I'd love to see more of everywhere right now is this idea of how do we create spaces that are considerate, that are really thinking of like everyone that may want to engage and everyone that may want to be a part of it. Like let's create a space where they can come in and they immediately know that we've thought of them. And it's so, and again, it's so simple. One of the, one of the best examples that someone gave me about attending a concert is, you know, I attended a concert with this symphony and that symphony wrote out how long each of those pieces are. Like say it's four minutes and 19 seconds or like, like Spotify, you know, you can yeah. see how long a song yeah. is. And she's like, that prevented me from having so much anxiety because I wouldn't know when the piece was going to end and when I was allowed to clap. And she oh, was having yeah. all of this anxiety about when to clap. Mm -hmm. And it's I'm like, I can relate to that. It's like, Oh, yeah, this, same. oh am I, am I, do I clap here? Yeah. I don't know. And, same. Um, so it's, it's, uh, just like, Oh, that is such a simple solution to prevent someone I'm like, okay, I've got three more minutes. And then I know like when people start clapping, like I, I'm going to clap in three minutes. So, um, something so simple like that, that can make an experience so much more positive. Yeah. And it is, it's such a simple thing, but <laughs> I, I can think back to times where there's been a brief pause in the music. <laughs> And, you know, maybe I let out a single clap in there <laughs> and I was the only one in the audience. And I was like, oh, man, yeah. just I was so excited. <laughs> and so I, I do think these things, like you said, they are they're really simple, but really effective at helping people feel comfortable. And I think it also is just it's a great way to adapt something that has been around for hundreds of years to the changing environment. And it's if if we want people to still participate and to still listen and to still engage with music and with art that has been around. I think it's okay to do things like put the time of the, the length of the song next to the song. It hasn't been done traditionally, but that doesn't mean that it wouldn't have been easier for certain people 
to engage and to feel more comfortable had it been done. And so I think it's a great evolution of something where we can still honor the music and the art and the history around it, but also give people a way to engage that's more comfortable and where they're like, okay, it's been about four and a half minutes. I know it's the end of a song. Now I can clap. Yes, exactly. I mean, um, yeah, my hope is just to just, I just want to be welcoming to all. I just want everyone to have access to music. I mean, that's just, it's just, that's, that's also simple. (laughs) I would like that to be simple. It is simple. And I think that most, most really powerful and really big things we do in the world, we can find fancy ways to say them, but at their core, the most powerful movements and the most powerful changes that we make to the world are really, really simple things. Yes. Yeah, they are that we, we complicate a lot of the things with like all the (laughs) exceptions and all the rules that we put around them. But a lot of the principles underneath are fairly, they're fairly simple. Yeah. um, Which I think is a really cool thing. So where did you, you, you mentioned you, you started playing piano, you said at five. Mm -hmm. Um, When did you know that music was always going to be a part of your life? You know, um, like I said, my teenage years were really dark and broody and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I struggled with so much with depression at that time. And I think that, I think I knew at that point because it, it's music saved me. (laughs) I mean, it just, um, was such, uh, a source of comfort and, um, I don't know. I just, I've always understood the power of music uh, and just felt like I don't, if I wasn't playing the piano when I was a teenager or if I wasn't listening to music or anything like that, I don't know if I would have made it. Like I really, really believe that it was music that got me through that. Yeah. And um, that's, that's just the power of music. (laughs) Yeah. I can really relate with that, Susan. I think my teenage years were really similar where so I played guitar and I started playing guitar probably around the same time you started playing piano, but it took me a little while to like really take it seriously. You know, I played on and off until I was probably around 10 years old. And then I started taking more formal lessons and then sort of got to the point where I could teach myself and continue uh, my own sort of education um, on the guitar from there. But I do remember like in high school, there just being days where I would, I think I would play for like four hours. I mean, literally from the time I got home from school, get my homework done, whatever else I had to do, I'd just play music. Yeah. And it was such a, it was such an escape for me and such a, like a thing that just made me feel like everything was going to be okay or made me feel seen or made me feel like I could express the things that I couldn't put into words because I didn't really have the vocabulary for it maybe at that age. Yeah. So I I certainly understand. Exactly. Can you talk a little bit about what the response has been so far to these changes with the orchestra? Oh my gosh. Um, yes. Our sensory concerts, I think we're initially serving maybe 20 people per concert. I mean, they, they are fairly intimate Yeah. and now they've grown, um, to about 60 or more. Wow. Um, I know that doesn't sound very large, but for something I want to keep fairly intimate, it, it is yeah. expanded a lot. Yeah. The all accessible concert, which we did for the first time just three months ago, um, I had about, um, I think I had about 200 people in, a, in attendance. Wow. So, and I had kind of turned that around in about two to three weeks. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it right now. And um, so that was just, um, just an incredible response. I was going to be happy with like 40 people at that. And to have 200 was really overwhelming and exciting. That is, that's a huge response, especially for a first time. I imagine as well, it'll continue to grow as people hear about it. And now people having been there, having a positive experience, they're going to be telling friends and family like, Hey, you have to come and check this out. It was really cool. Yeah. I mean, the response from families who just wholeheartedly were like, thank you so much. Mm. You know, I can't imagine not being able to feel like you could do something that's so um, normal for, I don't want to use normal. Um, I can't imagine doing something that is so commonplace for other people that they don't really think about it and they just get to do it. 
Um, so yeah, that was really special. That is, that's really special. And I'm sure getting the feedback from the families really is a powerful indicator that you're on the right track. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it really is. And, and not just for families, uh, with children who are, or adults, adult children who have disabilities, but also have gotten feedback from people just with things that you don't expect. Um, Mm. so you wouldn't, necessarily know there's been some other incidences where I was I'm always willing to make an accommodation no matter what it happens to be and um my willingness to make that accommodation was just overwhelming for them and um it's such a simple again (laughs) I I think we keep coming back to this theme but there's just simple changes that can really be life-changing for people yeah yeah I I think we keep coming back to it for a reason though so I'm I'm glad we do (laughs) How have the, have you had any feedback from the musicians as far as these concerts and maybe some of the feedback, have you been able to share that with any of the musicians and sort of share how, what they're doing is, is making a big difference in the community? I think they were really blown away with the all access concert. Um, I didn't really involve them a lot. I just told them that it was happening mm-hmm. and, and explained a few things that uh, I need you to know that the audience may move around. I mm-hmm. need you to know that they may, the audience may vocalize where you don't expect uh, and things like that. And then um, we always engage with the, in this particular instance, we were engaging with the audience before the concert began. Yeah. And I had someone in the audience who uh, he's like, my favorite instrument is trumpet. So I just walked on stage and I asked Christian, I said, Christian, who is our principal trumpet player? I'm like, would you mind coming down and showing off your trumpet? And I mean, the he immediately came right down. So it's just That's um, really cool. their immediate and positive engagement with uh, things and being willing participants. Uh, they've just been very responsive and, and cool about it. Yeah. That that is, I would, I would think too, as, as it continues to gain traction and you continue to hear more stories that, um, more and more will sort of see the impact that it is having. Cause I think sometimes those stories have a hard time making it back to the musicians, but the more they can be shared, I think the more powerfully people will believe in the concept and in the difference that it can make in people's lives. And there's absolutely nothing like an audience member at the end of a song shouting, that was awesome, you know? <laughs> and, or I think we've had another one where it's like, this is the best day of my life. Wow. And um, so those types of magical moments that happen and obviously only happen in live experiences yes. are so worth it. <laughs> yeah, and they really, I think they just make life beautiful. They They show the diversity of human connection and how yeah. people experience moments and, um, the fact that someone couldn't hold that back is such a beautiful exactly. <laughs> thing. That's it's just so well expressed. Yeah. That's cool. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Susan, how have you changed as a, as a part of this process of learning and evolving and changing? How personally have you changed? Um, you know, I actually, so everyone, almost everyone in my family, except for me, I'm like the, odd duck, I guess, are special educators. So okay. I've actually grown up around uh, a lot of a lot of a lot of this growing up. Um, mm-hmm. So it's been a huge part of my life for a really long time. But to do it in a capacity that involves music. Um, I think that sometimes your passions sing to you in different ways. Um, I always knew I was passionate about music. But this has really, this has really awakened something new in me um, in the sense that I, I'm just so drawn to it. I'm just so um, driven to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I take that as a sign of passion. Yeah. And um, so I guess that has changed in me because I didn't expect it to um, resonate so loudly with me. And it has. (laughs) So, um, I, yeah, I just, I'm so determined to do it well and thoughtful. I, I think that is like the driving force within me. Like, I just want to do it right. And I, I don't want to, 
like you said earlier, I don't want to just check a box. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get my little DEAI training and be like, oh, I'm trained now. I can move on. Mm-hmm. No, I want to I want to do it right. And yeah. um, and so, yeah, that's become a really huge driving force in my life now. It's so cool too to see the blending of something that you had always been around and something that you had always loved and then yeah. being able to sort of merge those two things into one role that maybe you, you didn't specifically like try to drive into this role from what I understand. Right. It, it, no, <laughs> it was more of like, Hey, this is something that actually feels like a good fit of things that I love. And I love that that's the way that this story came about, because I think that happens to a lot of us where it wasn't, for me in my career, it wasn't something that I thought intentionally like, Hey, I want to be a banker who's doing podcasting and marketing and some of the things that I love. It just happened that I found a role where the need was similar to the things that I'm passionate about. And when that happens, it can be quite magical. (laughs) I think. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I've never looked at it that way. And now when you say that, I feel like even a little bit more moved by that um, because yeah, I, it kind of is the perfect storm of all these things that have occurred in my life that have kind of all come together, whether it's serving families, it's serving music, it's serving people who need access. It, it has, it's just sort of um, all blended together. And I, I feel very grateful for that. Yeah. And sometimes that's all we can really do. I think is just feel grateful and <laughs> know that, Hey, this wasn't of, you know, like I didn't design this specifically, but I'm really happy to be here and to be doing this work. Yeah. And I, I also think it's so interesting that sometimes like what awakens in us in, when we do find the, the right combination of things, um, I think sometimes when we're in the wrong role or we're just not in the right job, it can start to feel like our identity that maybe I'm not maybe I'm not a hard worker or maybe I'm not a passionate person. Maybe I'm just not a high achiever. And it turns out that maybe you're just not in the right place with something that excites you enough uh, or something that you feel is meaningful enough to wake up every day and want to go through the hard things. Yeah. You turn to other vices, you know? Yes, <laughs> yes exactly. And, uh, or you fill your mind with other things and yeah. this is all I think about. Um, so Yeah. Yeah, it shines through pretty clearly. And so I hope I hope people can hear it in your voice as much as I can see it on your face, how excited you are to be oh, thanks. Yeah, excited to be doing this role. So how are you continuing to move forward? So as you're looking towards next steps, you've created um, the all accessible concert. You're going to continue the smaller, more intimate concerts. What's next? Is it continuing to develop these? Do you have other ideas that you're working towards now? Yeah. So a lot of that is some of the things I've already mentioned. So is taking like the social narratives, taking, looking at the things like adding times to the concerts um, and and putting that with everything we do Um, with, even with our larger concerts, our masterworks are our pops. We do we do so many concerts. Um, yeah. <laughs> so how, how can we be more accommodating in everything that we do? Not just these specific labeled things. Um, so if I can add those types of accommodations to on the page, like, so if you go and you're looking at a masterworks concert and uh, you know how long it's going to be, you know where to go. If you need a break from the music, you know what it's going to be like when you go that all of that is always everywhere you land on our website. So that's kind of like what my summer goal is going to be. I have lots of summer goals, but that's definitely mm-hmm. one of them. And, you know, eventually I would love to bring it into our larger concerts. I, you know, this is going to, it's going to be a process, right? As you yeah. bring other people on board with your vision, yeah. especially other patrons who may not be um, used to accommodating. Yeah. Uh, so, is it, so it's going to be about trying to find those ways. So maybe I can do music indication if I'm off to the side. So, mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, you know, there's not a lot of talking in our other concerts. So ASL Correct. and captioning would not be super conducive to that. But if there's other ways in the simple, smaller ways that I can make someone feel comfortable coming and feel like they can, then that's what I want to do. 
Yeah. And I think as people see those little changes making big impact, it's, I think it's fairly likely that most people will decide this is a really positive thing, but typically, especially in environments where change has not been common, it it can be, it can be more difficult for that first change to land and for people to feel comfortable because I think there's just this natural, I don't think fear is really the right word, but just aversion to something that's unknown because it's a known experience for the people who have, you know, been there for a long time and been supporting and have attended for, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, they know what to expect um, as well. And so it's trying to find, I think those little things that you were talking about that can sort of help become accommodating in small ways and show that it's, it's a positive thing and that it doesn't disrupt the rest of the experience. Right. Um, Additionally, we're going to be partnering with a group called United Sound. I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, I'm not. I'd love to hear about it, though. Organization. Um, they do peer-to-peer mentoring for... So they do it in schools, but we have youth orchestra. So we're planning to do it with our youth orchestra, which is finding mentors within our members. And then they mentor someone... Um, with intellectual or developmental, developmentally disabled with disabilities. And they teach they, the, that student uh, picks an instrument and they mentor them to play that instrument and they adapt the music to uh, make it easier to play and then, then end in a final concert altogether. Um, So so they are an amazing organization and I'm beyond excited and pleased to start partnering with them soon. And, uh, that is just yet another way that we're making music accessible. Yeah. I'll be sure to link to them in the show notes as well. So people can sort of look them up and learn more about them, but what a cool way to make an impact on the, on the community and on people within the community. That's, uh, I'm going to have to look them up myself because it sounds just fascinating. It's amazing. Yeah. So We've got the United Sound thing. We've got sort of taking a look at the larger performances and finding ways to continue to improve the experience for everyone and accessibility to those uh, to those performances. What are you most excited about in the next, you know, month, year, two years? I'm really excited to see how this expands. I know um, I'm, I'm already talking about ways in which I can do that, but it's always evolving and changing. And I just love to see, I love to see those changes and uh, I just can't wait to see where it goes. I mean, there's, it, it's, it's just like the little beam of light coming in and it just seems like it's just going to get brighter and brighter. And I just can't wait to see how that, how that all plays out. Um, and how, how far I can push it through everything we do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I really just, yeah, I don't know. That just totally excites me. I don't know. Yeah. That's really cool. I can see the excitement with you. (laughs) I'd love to sort of take a, a different, I guess a different way to approach the situation in sure. that being a change agent in any organization is, is really difficult. Um, this was something that I was actually talking on another podcast about last week was yeah. being a change agent. It can be incredibly, it's very fulfilling, but it can also be exhausting um, because there you're fulfilled by the changes, but you also um, typically, and I, this may not be the case for you, but I, I am curious to know, um, sometimes it can feel like you're fighting a lot of uphill battles at the same time. Like there's so much change that you see possible and you, you're taking like these fractional battles to like implement the change over time. So one, is that something that, that you experience? And two, if so, how do you continue moving forward and staying energized, um, despite sort of the friction, um, that you have to move through to implement the changes? Yeah. Um, you know, symphonies are very complex. Um, I'm sure you understand that having yes. worked for one. Yes. I don't think people really realize how complex they are. Yeah. Um, so that is always a battle for mm-hmm. me. Um, mm-hmm. 
And I think part of it is I am incredibly enthusiastic about what I do. I really care about what I do. And if I can, if I can spread that throughout mm-hmm. my musicians and throughout the other people that I work with, then usually they get on board. So the musicians I've been working with, they, they're like, oh my gosh, our, our audience just tripled. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you. Uh, so, <laughs> so things like that when, when they, and I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm serious. Like this, uh, this is what I'm here to do. And this is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and they see it happen. Um, even if it is something so small, if I can just get them on board and see that I'm, 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 I'm really serious about my passion and, and drive to do it, then um, usually they're very supportive um, and will will get on board with me. Yeah. It, it isn't easy. And I, and I think especially in this particular thing, like I said, is constantly, I mean, the language changes. I mean, the language for something that I may use one week might change the next week. Right. Um, it's so constantly shifting. Um, you know, I don't even know if sensory friendly is the word I want to use anymore. Right. Um, like just things like that. Um, so I don't know, I'm just also a a really avid learner and I want to share it with others. Like, Hey, this is what I learned and, um, I'm going to share it with you. Mm -hmm. And, um, I don't know. I think if you do it from the heart, then people can't help but follow you. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I agree with that. And I think you hit on a couple other things that are really important as well. The first being like you, there is a component of the the passion and the enthusiasm absolutely does matter, but you have to pair that with actually getting results as well. Yeah. Uh, because if you're not getting the results, um, it's really hard for people to engage with you with trust. Um, I think the results help provide the trust to continue supporting you and to continue like really buying into that engagement with and, and that passion with full support. Um, so I think that's one. And two, I, I really like the way that you described almost like vulnerability and transparency around the process of learning, even, even something like you're like, I don't know if this is the way I want to say this anymore. I think being able to share that with people shows that you, you have a learner's mindset and that you are continuing to engage with the work that you're doing with a learner's mindset. And that it's not something that you assume expertise on, but that it's a process that it's always going to be sort of an evolution. And for me, when I'm engaging with people that I look up to and mentors in my life, that's something that's very meaningful to me is like, this person is still learning and I want to follow people that are still learning and still growing and don't think they have it all figured out yet because uh, I'm going to learn more as they're learning as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I think as I've gotten older too, you have to humble yourself to the point where like, yeah, I, I really don't have all the answers and I'd really rather turn to someone who knows a lot more about it than I do mm-hmm. because they have the experience and they have the, the, the life that they've lived to, to tell me. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So I, um, that's what this entire process has been for me is making sure that I turn to people who can lend me that information. I don't assume to know anything. Um, I 100% I'm just learning. I mean, like, like I said, this was like literally a glimmer in my eye in the fall. I made it, I made one concert happen in February. It was three months ago. I mean, this is Mm -hmm. all brand new to me and I have so much more to learn, but I, I want to. Yeah. The way that we actually got connected, I think was through Lori Heller who works here at the bank and I believe that she either attended or was somehow involved in the all accessible concert. And she was just so blown away by that experience and by the difference that it was making. And she was like, Brett, you're not going to believe this. She's like, there's this, she's like, I'm not aware of anyone else doing this type of work. And it sounds yeah. like maybe there's one other orchestra that's that you, you're aware of that's really focused in on this, but you're still like a very front runner in terms of creating these ways to improve access. Yeah, I think um, a lot, you know, it's, <laughs> I don't want to say it's easy for arts organizations to do this, but it 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 is in a way because you have all these creative minds being like, well, how, how can we do this? Yeah. And so, no, I don't, I wouldn't say that we're the first one. Are we the first one to include the 
five million things I added to mine. Maybe because I'm, <laughs> I, I, I just love to add everything all at once. Um, but yeah, I took a little bit here. I took a little bit there and I put it all together. And there are lots of other arts organizations that are doing incredible, incredible work. Um, yeah. You know, I, I really look to the Kennedy Center. They're a huge leader yeah. in this in this type of accessibility through the arts. Um, so they're a huge resource for me. Um, I know that there is the All Access Inclusion Network. Hopefully I got that acronym correct uh, out of Nashville. Yeah. And they're doing incredible things. Um, so yeah, just looking, just, just always looking and seeking and learning and trying to do the best we can. Yeah. Uh, so Susan, how would you describe your mission at the Chattanooga Symphony Orchestra? Uh, okay. So my mission is definitely that music is a right and music should be accessible to all. I mean, it's, mm. um, music is for everyone. I mean, that we've heard that before. I don't sound so cliche, um, but it's so true. Music is mm -hmm. for everyone, everyone. And um, that is that that would be my personal mission that I am yeah. living and breathing music for everyone. Yeah, I love that. And it is I mean, again, going back to this concept is simple, but there's a lot of people that say music is for everyone, but maybe the actions aren't as maybe not convincing, but aren't as powerfully followed. And so it's, it's clear that, you know, this isn't, this is a personal mission for you, but it sounds like it's also a very important mission for the Chattanooga symphony orchestra overall and, yes. and, a, a intentional strategy forward. Yeah, I would agree with that very much. So great. So I have one more question and then I want to find sort of, or give you a chance to share where people can find you. Sure. And my last question I, I ask on every podcast, because I think it's fun to hear sort of different perspectives on this question, which is this, if there's someone who is just starting out on their journey for impact and they know they want to make a difference in the world, but they're not sure how to get started, what advice would you have for them? I would definitely advise looking to others. Um, I'm, I'm not ever about, um, you know, starting from scratch. I mean, someone somewhere must have a resource for you to look to mm -hmm. and inspire you. So I'd always look to others, um, to, to get you started. Um, and then I would find a partner within, find a partner or a local partner within that. So where is somewhere that's doing it? And then where is someone here who could help me do that? Um, so for example, like my thing was, I looked to an orchestra that was kind of doing it. And then who are the people here in this town who could help me do it? Mm. And, um, and then, and then I think we just, we, 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 we had a lot of, a lot of similar themes throughout this whole talk, but it's, it's just about learning yeah. and just always being open to learning and, and finding those resources that will help you grow. And um, whether if it's not the community partner, then find a book. There's books on everything. There's there videos are. on everything. Yeah. You have so yeah. much access. Um, so to just to learn um, and just be, just be a, a, take it all in, take everything yeah. in. Yeah. I don't think I could have said that any better. <laughs> I think you could have, but that's okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if people want to connect with you, Susan, maybe they're interested in doing similar work in their organization and they're not quite sure where to start, or maybe they just want to thank you for the work that they're doing. Where is a great place to find you? And then how do people connect with the Chattanooga Symphony Orchestra? Sure. So all of our handles for, for the symphony is chat symphony. So C H A T T symphony. Um, that's across, I think, all of our platforms. Um, for okay. me, email would probably be the best. Um, and so it's my first initial, my last name at chattanoogasymphony.org. And um, yeah, I'm always looking to connect. So please reach out. I'd love to get your ideas and feedback and um, let's get coffee. 
Good. I love it. Also, I'll be sure to put this in the show notes for anyone listening. If you want to connect with Susan and Susan, I just want to take a minute before we <laughs> sort of uh, conclude our episode today, just to thank you for taking the time to have this conversation today. I learned a lot. I took a ton of notes and I'm sure that others listening are, are going to be learning as well. So thank you so much for sharing your experience thank and you. your passion. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. Thank you. Yeah, I did too. And I'm going to have to stay in touch with you and hear um, when your next all accessible concert is because I'd love to come down and just check it out firsthand. And then, you know, maybe we can circle back to to this and, and talk a little further about it. Uh, I would love that. Cool. All right, Susan. Well, thank you for your time today. Take care. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye. And there you have it, everyone. My conversation with Susan Kamenez. I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. I took a ton of notes and there was a lot that I learned throughout this conversation. I think that Chattanooga Symphony is up to some incredible things. And if you are in that area, I would highly encourage you to check out some of the new initiatives that we talked about today and to find ways to support, whether that's through donation, whether through that's attending the events, get involved somehow. This is a great cause. Thanks to Susan for taking the time to have this conversation today. And thanks to you, the listener, for taking the time to listen to this episode, to learn with us, and to help us continue to elevate the stories of impact of people just like you making a difference in the communities that they live, work, and raise families. If you enjoyed today's episode, if you would take one brief minute and follow our podcast, subscribe to our podcast, and give us a five-star review. It will help us continue to reach more people with these stories of impact, just like Susan's. And lastly, before we go, one last thank you to Tower Community Bank for sponsoring the Impact Code podcast and for making all of this possible. If you enjoyed today's episode, one way to continue ensuring that we can bring you new content is by going to www.towercommunitybank.com and checking out all the accounts that are offered there. And if you see something that is interesting to you, sign up. You can do that all without ever visiting a branch online. And we even have an option where you can open an account with a video banker. So instead of just filling out an application like you would, you would actually be able to walk through it step-by-step step with someone on video. So if that's a preference that you have, instead of going to towercommunitybank.com, you can go to virtual.towercommunitybank.com and open an account that way today. Thanks again for listening. And I'll see you back here for another episode of The Impact Code. Bye.